the joyful Christian we've talked about, I promised that I was going to provide you with four spiritual secrets of what it means and how you can be not just a Christian, but a joyful Christian. And each of these spiritual secrets are in each of the corresponding chapters. There's four chapters. For the last three weeks, we've been talking about secret number one, which is a single mind. That to be a joyful Christian, you have to have a single mind, meaning a focus on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, putting Him in the center, making sure that He is your focus and everything is peripheral around Christ. That's step one, a single mind. Well, we're moving to step two, chapter two, which is a submissive mind. A submissive mind. If, if chapter one dealt with circumstances, chapter two deals with people. How are we supposed to relate to people? So here comes spiritual secret number two, the submissive mind. Let's read the scripture that can be found in the sermon text in your bulletin. It's Philippians 2, 1 through 11. This is Paul speaking to the Philippian church. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being found in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. This is God's Word. Well, I went to a, re a restaurant recently, Bowie 44. Anybody been to Bowie 44? Alright, you remember where Alexander's on the Bay was? It's kind of back there near the, uh, the bridge tunnel. Alexander's was, was a little frou-frou for me. I'm just being honest with you, okay? Bowie 44 was a little bit uh, more my style. Uh, they've got a guy out on the deck. It's kind of fun. Uh, but I have to confess to you that the food did not uh, quite make the grade. We went there the first time. It was great. The second time, uh, uh, but the surface was pretty good. They did look after us. So I'm not meaning to uh, disparage Bowie 44. If you go, you might have a wonderful time. Rather, I want to talk about service. It's hard to find good service in a restaurant anymore, right? In fact, it's hard to find good service anywhere. Service may be a thing of the past. Remember when you would pull up your automobile and the four guys would run around and they start working on your car and doing all of those things? If you remember that, you're ancient. I don't remember that at all. Just kidding. It's my job to try to tick somebody off, uh, at least one person every sermon, so I'm going to get an email on that. Nonetheless, service is hard to find, but it's still out there. There's still great service, but great service, like magic, comes with a price. I have a couple of examples of great service. Anybody here of Morton's Steakhouse? Morton Steakhouse, author and business 
Peter Shankman was getting ready to board a flight. It was the last leg of a long day of traveling. It just happened to occur over dinner time. And he knew when he got to the end of his destination, he was going to be starving. So what does he do? In jest, he texts Morton's, excuse me, tweets them, and says, can you meet me at Newark Airport with a porterhouse when I land in two hours? Thanks. Imagine his surprise when he got off the plane to find a tuxedo gentleman holding a bag that contained a 24-ounce Morton porterhouse, shrimp, potatoes, bread, napkins, and silverware. The, now, as Shankman was calculating this, he realized that the tweet had to be noticed by corporate. Someone had to get approval. A cook had to make his food. The food had to be driven 23 and a half miles away. And someone had to track down his flight information and figure out where he was landing to meet him at the road, right location on a 2.5 hour flight. That, my friends, is great service. But wait, there's more. A, a 89-year-old grandfather got snowed in a couple years ago and didn't have much in the house for meals. His daughter called several markets to see if any of them had grocery delivery service. But the only one that said they did was Trader Joe's. They don't, actually. But they were willing to help out the World War II vet. And as the man's daughter placed an order, the Trader Joe's representative on the phone recommended other items that would be good for her dad's low-sodium diet. And as an upsell, you may be asking, when they didn't charge her a dime for the delivery of the groceries. The Ritz-Carlton. Many of you, where you go anywhere, stay at the Ritz-Carlton. When I'm in standing for Paducah, Kentucky, I always stay at the Ritz. Because of their son's food allergies, a family vacationing at the Ritz-Carlton, Bali, was always careful to bring their own supply of eggs and milk, specialized eggs and milk. In this particular instance, however, the food was ruined and rude. The Ritz-Carlton manager couldn't find any of the special items in town. But his executive chef remembered that there was a store in Singapore that sold them. The chef contacted his mother-in-law who, who lived there, had her purchase the items, then fly to Bali, a two and a half hour flight, to deliver them. Only at the Ritz-Carlton. And finally, Apple. This is uh, fun. Apparently a man bought an Apple online, uh, excuse me, an iPad online, then returned it to the company almost immediately affixing a post-it to the front of the device that simply said, wife said no. <laughs> Returns processors would have gotten a kick out of it because the story eventually made its way to a couple of Apple VPs who refunded the customer and returned the iPad with an attached post-it that said, Apple says yes. <laughs> good service, we want it. But good service comes with a price, doesn't it? You notice all of the places that I mentioned, it's Morton's, it's Apple, it's Ritz-Carlton, it's Lexus, it's, and it goes on and on and on. You know, serving, we expect to have to pay for. But what about a culture of service in our world today? Do people still continue to serve one another? Is there an attitude of service? How can I go out of my way to help this person? Or is there more of a, I'm in this thing for myself attitude? Well, in the world, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, isn't it? It's a rat race. But it can also infiltrate its way into the church, where at the end of the day, it's about me. I don't want to be involved with anyone else's life. I don't want to have to serve. I don't want to have to submit myself to them. But the call of Christ, as we see in the scriptures, is to have not only a single mind fixed on him, 
but a submissive mind that puts others ahead of yourself. See, in chapter 1, Christ must be first. But in chapter 2, people must be second. That, of course, makes us last. So how do we live with submissive hearts in a culture of selfishness? I think in this passage, we can see three things. Number one, we can find our motivation for submission. The why, if you will, we should be submissive. Number two, we have for ourselves an example of submission. Jesus Christ, the servant above all. And finally, we can see the goal of submission. What is the purpose for why we are doing this? So our motivation for submission, our example of submission, and our goal of submission. Let's take a look at these three things. The motivation of submission. From the scriptures, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Whenever you see the word so in the Bible, you have to look at what was just said. Paul has shared his love for Christ. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And he has talked about how that is translated in his care for the Philippians. That he would rather be with them than be with Christ so he could see them flourish and grow in their faith. And so he turns to them and he says, so, if you, if there is any encouragement of Christ in you, if this word encouragement means giving someone support, confidence or hope, if you have any support or confidence or hope in Christ, if you have any comfort in His love, the word com comfort here not only means inspiration, has He not only moved your heart, but it also means consolation. Has He met you in your darkest times? Has He given comfort in your life? Any participation in the Spirit, meaning are you a one who is in the Spirit with Christ? And in fact, participation means are you joined with a body, this body called the church, sharing together in the presence of God, living in your hearts through the Holy Spirit? If you have any affection and sympathy for one another, notice this word, if you have any just a little bit even. Then Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. See, have the same mind as I do, as the way I have loved you, love one another. Having the same love that I expressed to you, being of full accord and a full mind, which means not only feeling, but also thinking. It denotes the entire person. Entire person being given over to service and submission. See, what you'll discover, my friends, is there's a natural a bond between chapter 1 and chapter 2. There's a natural connection between the single mind and the submissive mind. You know, truth be told, the reason that people aggregate, aggravate us so much is usually because we do not have our own way. We want something and we cannot have it. People get in our way because they want something. And ultimately, a conflict is going to occur as I do not get what I want and they do not either. But because we do not have our own way, there's anger and strife and selfishness. But you see, the secret of joy, in spite of circumstances, is the single mind. As such, the secret of joy, in spite of people, is the submissive mind. Putting Christ first, 
single-mindedly, and then putting people second submissive-mindedly. You know, the world tries to fix this problem of, of uh, selfishness and submission by rules and laws. It says, this is how you have to treat one another. These are the rules. I don't know if you've ever read the corporate manual of your uh, work, wherever you work. But it has just a host, a litany of different things that you're supposed to do and supposed to not do. It was created by an HR specialist, making sure that all of the bases are covered. But truth be told, many, many, many of those are rules that are reluctantly followed. Because true service comes from the heart. Not outside in, but inside out. And so, as, uh, as Paul said, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. See, a servant's heart is a grateful heart. And love begins when someone else's needs become more important than our own. Why are we doing this for Jesus' sake? Paul continues in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. See, Paul, when he's writing this letter, he knows that there are some potential problems in the church community. It appears there's some selfish ambition going on. Later, we'll see where he pleads for a couple of people in chapter 4 to agree in the Lord. This word selfish ambition means pride. It means caring more about yourself. Nothing wrong with ambition, is there? But selfish ambition is different. An ambition for me to be lofted up. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, which means empty glory. Seizing, trying to lift yourself up, trying to attain glory. But at the end, it's at the expense of others. It's empty. But in humility... Humility, humus, which means earth. In lowliness, count others more significant than yourself. Count others literally means, it's a financial term, to compute when you're adding up on the calculator. Count others, their needs, as more important than your own. They're five, you're two. There's a computation that's going on as you examine the needs of the people around you and take a look at your own. It's a decision to count others, to do nothing. Remember, we've been talking about the mind. The mind is mentioned 16 times in Philippians. To have a single mind, also to have a submissive mind, to make decisions in how you live. And so, Paul says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Not just looking at your interests first and then others then, but at the same time. So who are these others? Paul is speaking to the church, the family of faith. He's speaking to one of uh, each of us as we look at each other's needs. There was a speech, of a sermon actually, that Dr. Martin Luther King gave in 1968. It was called The Drum Major Instinct. And the drum major instinct is the instinctive desire of each one of us to be the drum major. Remember the drum major? He's the person that stands in front, leading the band, leading the procession. King said that this is the problem with the world. This is why we're all trying to keep up with the Joneses. 
spending more, trying to uh, position ourselves as the drum major. We must have attention. In fact, he said the problem with race is this. One group of people putting themselves above another for their own vanity and empty glory. But King said the church is different. The church is one place where a doctor ought to forget that he's a doctor. It's one place where a PhD ought to forget that he's a PhD. The church is one place that the school teacher ought to forget the degree she has behind her name. Any church that violates this, whoever so will, let him come to me like a little child. Their church is a dead, cold church, and nothing but a little social club with a thin veneer of responsibility. When the church is true to its nature, says King, when we are standing before a common master and savior, then a recognition grows out of this, that all men are brothers because they are children of a common father. Luther finished with this comment, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. So what about you and me? If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, has Christ impacted your heart enough that He has moved you in such a way to realize, to be grateful? If you have any of these things, then draw your service for others from the love and care that I have given you. But you may say to me, Carlos, I don't. I don't experience this encouragement. I'm not experiencing this love. Then I would have two questions for you. Number one, are you a Christian? Have you ever given your heart to Jesus Christ? Because there's no one more gentle with your heart than the Lord. And if you have, have you submitted yourself to Christ? Have you been single-minded? Have you put Him first in your life? Maybe the reason you're not experiencing this comfort and encouragement from Christ is you're simply not looking for it. You're looking for it in other things. And so you must go back, my friends. You must rehearse the gospel. You must place Him first. You must count on Him for this encouragement, this inspiration to go forward, and this solace when you're hurting. So resign from being the drum major. Put Christ first and put others second. When you're making decisions about how to spend your money, how to spend your time, how to uh, spend your time, how to use what God has given you. Remember that God has put Himself first and God asks you to put others second. So come alongside each other in this community. Know your friends' names and their stories. Joy is a submissive mind. And when you put others above yourself, you will discover this joy. You see, Jesus frees us from having to be great because He shows us true greatness lies in giving ourselves away. So we can make our lives one of sacrificial love for the glory of Christ. And we can find joy in this is our motivation for submission. But Paul goes even further. This is my second point. He gives us our example of submission. 
There is no greater example of submission than Jesus Christ, is there? And what follows is one of the most beautiful, exalted, and discussed passages in all of Scripture. Jesus shows us three traits of submission in this next section. Number one, he thinks of others, not himself. Look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Again, the mind. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. This Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, now keep in mind he's not talking about form in terms of size or shape. God is a spirit. No, he's talking about the outward expression of the inward nature. Although Jesus was the outward expression of the inward nature of God, because he was God, Remember Hebrews 1.3 which says that Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by His word of power. This great God, the Son of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We all understand grasping for power, don't we? It's true that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Once you get in that position, you know, whether it's civil service or other areas, you go and you want to help. But all too often when you have power and you've tasted of it, you want to hold on to it. You want to grasp for it and don't let go. And yet Jesus, God, did not account equality with God something to be grasped. He gave it up. He emptied himself. Unlike Satan, who wanted to grab Jesus thought of others, and so what did he do? His second trait, he served. Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He didn't empty himself of who he was. He emptied himself by taking the form, there, there's that word again, of a servant. Remember, the form of Jesus is king. That's his form, the exact imprint of God's nature. The highest of the high, the king of kings. And yet he took the form, the expression of a servant. He limited his power. He limited his privilege. He decided of his own volition to be born in the likeness of men. Born as a human, the infinite became finite. The indestructible became vulnerable. The one who is above all, became a simple baby. And he served. It's amazing if you read the Gospels, you see the service of Christ. He fed people when they were hungry. See that emphasis right there? <laughs> he washed their feet. He loved the unlovable, the leper, the prostitute, the tax collector. All of the screw-ups that humanity did not like, he loved. He healed. He listened. He was cold and tired and lonely. And yet he loved the least. And because he served, everybody wanted to be with him. He thought of others. And so he served. And then finally, he sacrificed. Verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. 
How far should we serve? Jesus served to the point of death. For as He said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. See, it costs to serve, my friends. It does. Service is more than simply submitting. It's sacrificing. If we serve, it's going to cost us something. Whether our time, whether our interest, whether even our hearts. But we can't serve if it doesn't cost us anything. In fact, the greater the love, the greater the sacrifice. You cannot separate sacrifice from service and submission. So how much in your life shows sacrifice? Is your life easy? Or is there a culture of service in your heart? Is there a culture of service in our church? A willingness to lay down our life to one another, even to the point of death. Even to love when people don't recognize it. Even to love and serve when people rebuke it. The church should be an example of the sacrificial love, this attitude of service exemplified in Jesus Christ. I remember somebody who served me when I was in college. Um, I had gotten mononucleosis. I did not know it when I ran the Marine Corps Marathon one week before. And thus marathon and mono do not mix. And so I went down and I went down hard. And in fact, I got misdiagnosed. If you don't do the expensive test to get mono, you, they can miss it. And so here I am. Uh, physically destroyed. I can't figure out what's wrong with me. I can't get out of bed to go to uh, school, and I'm all alone. I don't have my family with me. I do have my girlfriend, wife-to-be, who is fantastic. But I was struggling. I needed to get out of my apartment with my four slob roommates. I needed some hot chicken soup. I needed a break. And so Norm and Georgia Brinkman who were on the Committee for Young Life, well-to-do couple with a beautiful home in Charlottesville, took me in. They gave me a room to rest, away from the noise. They fed me. They cared for me. They walked alongside me. They served me. Now, they were busy people. They had a lot of different things to do. They were very important. But I could tell that I became a top priority for them. And I realize now it was because of their love of Christ that moved them to serve. It was their motivation that Christ loved them. And so it moved them to serve me. And it made all the difference. <coughs> and so you and I must have this mind of submission. Like Christ, we must think of others. We must pray for others. Get close to others. Rather than orienting my entire world around myself, orienting my life around others, with myself orbiting around them. When I set my schedule, when I'm making my priorities, I don't just live for myself, but rather my eyes are on the people around me. Is there a flexibility in your life? So at the drop of a hat, you can be there. You can show up. You can set your things aside. My money. When I'm making my money decisions, is there anyone else in the picture or is it simply me? 
Is there a culture of service and care with my money? Jesus thought of others. And he calls us to have the same mind. He calls us to think of others. And he calls us to serve. See, if you're a Christian, my friend, our mentality should change. I need to empty myself, being the outward expression of a servant. How can I be a Christian and not be a servant in the same sentence? I must be willing to take a meal. Maybe take someone in. Maybe go be with them in their darkest hour. This was Christ Jesus' attitude and His mind, and He calls us to do so as well. Finally, we must sacrifice. It doesn't count, guys, if it doesn't cost us anything. True service at the end of the day is going to cost. Whether your time, or your money, or your heart. Service is messy. You're going to get your heart broken. Some people don't appreciate it. Some people will even get mad. But you see, we're not doing it for ourselves, are we? We're doing it for Christ's sake, who did all of these things for us. Christ has motivated us for submission. He's given us an example for submission. And so we must make our lives one of sacrificial love for the glory of Christ. This brings me to my final point, our goal of submission. Listen to verse 9. Showing what Christ has done and showing the result of it. Therefore God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed on Jesus at the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He was named Jesus when he came into the earth. But God gave him a new name as he raised him from the dead. Lord. In fact, Lord of lords. King of kings. The one who is above all. The name of Jesus Christ. In which all nations will bow. Because he gives him also sovereign authority. That every knee shall bow in heaven. And on earth and under the earth. In heaven this makes sense. They bow in devotion. On earth some bow in devotion. Some don't. Though anyone can. If they desire to know Christ. And worship him. But even under earth, the lost, those who have said no to Jesus Christ, who have spurned His grace, they too will bow and confess, not with devotion, but with objectivity. Jesus is Lord. But why? Verse 11, to the glory of God the Father. Why did Jesus do all of these things? Why did he humiliate himself? Serve people who didn't care. Be willing to the point of death to get up on a cross and die. For sure it's because he loved us, his chosen, but he did it for an even deeper reason. To the glory of God the Father. The goal of his life was to become as low as possible, that God would be lifted up as high as possible. Christ's life was a life of sacrifice, showing His willingness to suffer for the glory of God. And God exalted Him. But you see, that wasn't the purpose of Jesus' service. See, you will become great for God when greatness is not your God. 
Jesus was the example of that. And so greatness was bestowed upon Christ, even though it wasn't sought. There is none who is greater than the one who serves. This makes sense. And so Jesus, for the joy set before him, not only for our salvation, but primarily for the glory of God, endured the cross. He didn't trust in man. You know, here's the truth, guys. Praise of man is fleeting. They love you one day, they hate you the next. How about Jesus? Hosanna to the Son of God, and then the next week, crucify him. You desire the praise and adulation of man. You will be disappointed. But what if your goal is deeper than simply man? What if the goal of your service is not just to love your fellow man, but rather to glorify God, that He might be lifted up, that when you serve, when you bow down, when you're loving other people, it's for the glory of God. Whatever it is that you do, whether you have a high position, a low position, whether you go beneath yourself, it's for the glory of God. When you serve, you do it with humility and graciousness and kindness, or with grumbling, begrudging, having to do it rather than wanting to do it. Jesus did all of these things for the glory of God. Everyone can become great because everyone can serve. Like Martin Luther King, all they need is a heart filled with love, motivated by grace. Jesus frees you and me from having to be great because He has shown us that true greatness lies in giving ourselves away. We have a motivation for submission, an example in Jesus, a worthy goal. So make your life one of sacrificial love for the glory of Christ and you will experience what it means to be a joyful Christian. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus, your Son. The example of beautiful submissiveness to you. His willingness to become nothing. To become crucified. That we might be free and you might be glorified. Lord, move in our hearts. Give us this encouragement. Give us this comfort. Help us to realize and remember how good you are to us. And with grateful lives, let us live like Jesus, laying down our lives that others might live, putting ourselves down that we may lift others up. And at the end of the day, make it for your glory. Help us to experience your glory. Help it to motivate us to want to live as servants and not as kings and rulers. All of these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.